You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Alrighty, everyone. So, a little bit of housekeeping before we get started, because I'm starting off this week. I have been informed that I may have said micro epilon in the last episode, which you did. I, I think, I think you did. Yes. Is not what is a micro epilon again? An excellent is that question. Real? It does not exist. It is not a real unit of measurement. <laughs> it is not a thing. The thing that I was trying to say was micro sievert, which is not anywhere close. Not even close. Not even close. So, so it goes. If you have any questions, you can add me. Just try to find me and I'll go into it. Anyway, so my topic this week, I've, it starts with a question. Okay. My question to you is, what makes a lizard a lizard? Oh, I almost thought you said what made a wizard a lizard, but that'd be magic. What makes a lizard a lizard? Yeah, a lizard, uh, like with an L. Scaly skin. Scaly yeah, skin. Um ectothermic or cold-blooded right they got right. some claws on them and a tail yeah um they're reptiles they are reptiles yeah i mean they're, they are these little four-legged things that run around usually is kind of the image you get of them and are somehow not a crocodile or an alligator right those are all correct things and i'm glad you all mentioned all those different parts, especially the four limbs. So a lizard, the general definition of a lizard is it has a small head, a short neck, a long body, and a tail. Sounds right. They have movable eyelids, which means that they have eyelids just like us. I dare all of our listeners to actually get into a staring contest with a snake. It's a trap. Might be a trap. Don't do it. Because <laughs> they do not have uh, eyelids. They have a special coating over their a special scale over their eye. Lizards also have external ears. So little holes that are their ears. And generally they have four legs. Okay. Right. But. Oh, 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 she said generally. She said generally. There it is. <laughs> oh, there are some that don't have any, aren't there? There are about 200 species of lizard that do not have or have reduced legs. Oh, you're kidding. I, I knew of like one. Yeah, 200 seems like a lot. 200. It does. Way more than I was thinking. They're, the one that most people know about is called the glass lizard. And right, it right. is found in the UK primarily in Eurasia. But we also have some that live here in North America. I was doing all these different research uh, about where you could find uh, the different species, and they're pretty much found almost everywhere in various shapes or forms. Really? Uh, the biggest thing, though, is that they do not have limbs. 
They are not snakes. Because they do have eyelids so that they blink. They have little ear openings so they have holes on the sides of the head and that's their ear. They don't... So snakes, they generally have really broad belly scales, like really wide scales. Their scales are different. Right, right, right. Legless lizards do not. And they do not have a forked tongue. Wow, because I know some of the, 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 those long scales on the belly of a snake help with locomotion, I think. So I'm, I'm, it's really surprising that an animal without limbs doesn't have something like that. So Oh, it, it gets... That's wild. It gets even more wild. <gasps> do tell. Uh, they actually have a longer tail than snakes do. Huh. And their body is generally more stiff than a snake's. So they don't have limbs but they don't have the same flexibility that snakes do they are not able to curl up in the same way that snakes can that makes sense because like i don't think about lizards being quite as flexible as as exactly so what do they what do they get out of not having any limbs so they believe so scientists believe that they were pushed uh evolutionary to lose the limbs because generally speaking Legless liver lizards, livers, live underground. <laughs> so, We're gonna get letters about that. Uh-huh. So they live underground. They burrow in the soil and they stay underneath there. So instead of digging through and using their claws to dig tunnels, they just push their way through. So they're swimming through the soil, through the whatever uh, dirt or sediment that they happen to be in. Uh, so scientists believe that that was the driving force behind them losing limbs. And what's really interesting is that snakes lost their legs much farther back in evolutionary history than legless lizards. And mm. both species actually, or both uh, types of reptile, lost those limbs independently of each other. So it had no related right, right. cause uh, between the two of them. So it'd be like a convergent evolution exactly. example. Exactly. What's also really cool is that there are, we can see some lizards actively beginning to lose their limbs. There are at least two different species of lizard or skink that have their legs, but are pretty much useless. Uh, which is absolutely crazy. Uh, so they look mostly like a legless lizard, but they'll have like these like centimeter or inch or smaller legs that they pretty much can't use. They're useless. They're just there to dangle. So eventually those species will probably lose those limbs uh, just through evolutionary uh process so eventually they're going to have babies with smaller limbs and they'll go on and breed and have more and all of that um legless lizards primarily eat insects so that's another way that they're kind of a lizard they don't generally eat like mice or rodents or anything like that they primarily eat insects and they can lose their tail They are able to regenerate their tail. So if they are threatened, they will drop their tail and try to get away. 
and can grow it back. It obviously won't be as long as the original was or and it could be darker, but generally speaking, it's going to be uh it, it, generally speaking, it will it can't lose this tail as a defense for getting caught by like a bird. And random I fun thought facts. that was the coolest defense mechanism. Isn't it so fun? Oh. And you know, science really has been trying to figure out that uh mechanism how they're able to regrow those limbs just because that would be really amazing for like the disability community uh just in purposes of trying to be able to regrow like limbs or anything like that anyway yeah now do you know oh boy maybe i should save it for another topic but do you know that humans actually can regrow the tips of our fingers i have heard that yeah like if you slice just the the very tip of your finger off if you were to, you know, try to like st put stitches or something in there, it will not regrow. But if you just bandage it up and leave it alone, your finger will actually, uh, maybe not quite perfectly, but regrow. So humans do have that ability a little bit. We're just trying to figure. So part of what scientists are trying to figure out is, like Rachel was saying, like how do these lizards do it so that we could maybe activate that in humans? Rachel more is examining her bigger. fingertips right now. Yeah, she's I'm just very closely like I'm oh. I'm really interested in this. I won't do it. I promise I won't cut off the tips of my fingers. Don't do it, Rachel. Put the knife down. I won't. I won't. I won't. Oh, so last bit that I have for us today is uh it's just a random fun fact. While I was researching this, I was just thinking about uh Harry Potter as I do. And because a oh, lot yeah. of uh so in the Chamber of Secrets, my brain automatically goes to Harry Potter all the time anyway. Of course. But since it takes place in Europe, a lot of uh, legless lizards happen to be in Europe. And there's one that was specifically in the UK. And I was looking at them and the face of a legless lizard looked a lot like the basilisk in the Chamber of Secrets. Oh. And so I may have pulled up a link and watched the scene very carefully just of the basilisk <laughs> to see if it had eyelids and that basilisk one had external ears and had eyelids that thing blinked Ooh. so it's actually a legless lizard it is not a snake qed ah uh, wow continuity errors are always uh so, so it's not a continuity oh no error it's not it's just biology they were really wrong. being accurate <laughs> right they just had the biology wrong yeah that that does happen <laughs> I thought you were going to go the Skelligro. Maybe maybe Skelligro is made out of basilisk somehow. Hmm. And that's how they regrow stuff. This actually is not a Harry Potter podcast, so we should probably no. not go all the way down that rabbit hole. No, but I wanted to it, I went down that rabbit hole and I wanted to share. So That's all I've got for you this week. Kirk here with a quick note. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. It helps other lovers of The Strange find our show. You can also find and follow us on social media. Search for Strange by Nature Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or come visit us at strangebynaturepodcast.com. We'll see you there. Now, back to the show. All right. Well, the creature I have to discuss with you today is a very divisive animal. Some people dote on them. Uh, they show them uh, with uh, other animals of their kind. They race them. They pay hundreds of thousands of dollars 
for well-bred specimens, and other people consider them rats with wings. I am talking about the domestic pigeon. Oh my goodness. Man, pigeons are cool. They are. So uh, everybody knows that pigeons live in large flocks and cities and poop everywhere. And uh, famously, yes, eat a lot of trash on the street. Um, If you know something else about pigeons, you probably know that they're famed for their homing abilities. So they uh, have a home roost or or, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Nest. Totally forgot that word. Nest. I think there's a special word. Whatever. I'll come up with it next week. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I think roost worked just fine. I believe, actually, oh, actually, I believe their, their home roost is known as a micro epilon. Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, uh, when released from pretty much any location, they can find their way back to their home <clears throat> with uh, some different mechanisms that science is still figuring out that are not fully understood. There's a lot of cool research about that. That is not what I'm here to talk about today. Although I do have to take a bit of a detour into the homing pigeon because they have a long history. People have utilized these abilities of theirs to uh, carry messages for many hundreds of years, including in war, into the 20th century. Um, in, the tw- in the First World War, there was actually a pigeon named Sher Ami, who was a real hero. In the Meuse argonne Offensive in 1918, there was an American battalion that was encircled and cut off from its lines Um, And they were being shelled by both sides because their side didn't know they were there. Of course. And yeah, so the first two pigeons they sent were shot down. They were trying to let their side, let the other allies know that they were there and stop, stop shelling them. Um, The third pigeon, our friend Cherami, was seen by the Germans taking flight and shot down, but she managed to take flight again and made it back to her loft. There's the word loft. Look at you writing it down. Uh, the loft was 25 miles away, and she made it in 25 minutes. Uh, if you're if you're that's keeping really track of fast. him, that's 60 miles per hour. That's, wow, <laughs> that's so well, fast. Hey, look, if someone's shooting at me, I'm going to go pretty quick too. Yeah, that that's she, fair. So pigeons are very good flyers, in addition to their other qualities. But she had been shot through the breast, blinded in one eye, and had a leg hanging only by a tendon. That leg carried the message of the battalion's location, and led to their rescue. Medics managed. I'm sorry, Rachel and I. We should probably pick our jaws up. Off the floor <laughs> yeah, at that hold point. up. She was shot through the her breast. That's where like her yeah. lungs and her heart, everything is. How did she I'm, fly? I'm stuck on the leg, leg holding up by a tendon. Well, the breast yeah. is where yeah. all of the flight muscles are for a bird. Yeah. And she's still yeah. doing 60 miles an hour. Hmm. I would be on and the medics- floor. Medics managed to save her life, although they could not save her leg. They carved her a tiny wooden leg. <laughs> and she was... <laughs> Arr, she's a pirate now. Of course. Pirate pigeon. She was then uh, taken back by ship to the United States, um, where she did die eight months later of her wounds in New Jersey. And she was taxidermied and is on display at the Smithsonian Institution. So you can go visit her. Slightly she morbid. Awarded- she was awarded the Croix de Guerre, which is France's highest military honor, and she is the only animal to be so awarded. <laughs> However, the British came up with, during World War II, they came up with their own medal specifically for animals. It's called the Dickin Medal. And there have been 54 medals awarded 
in the lifetime of this metal, 32 of them have been to pigeons. So there you go. Wow. Wow. All right. Pigeons, so more honorable. More honorable and, uh, and save a lot of lives, apparently. But not only this, not only do they have these amazing combing abilities and uh, swiftness of flight and bravery in battle, um, they also have surprisingly good intelligence, uh, and especially for visual pattern recognition, memory, and they actually have some counting ability. Um, and all of this makes them uh, similar to humans in some of the ways their brains work, which makes them a good experimental animal. Um, and presumably a lot of these abilities are related to their homing, homing abilities. So in 1995, Japanese scientists actually trained pigeons to distinguish distinguished between paintings by the artists Monet and Picasso. So they trained them on a small set of paintings from each artist. And based on those, then they were able to recognize other Picasso or Monet paintings. And not wow. only that, they then tried other, uh, other artists from the same schools, so other Impressionist artists and other Cubist artists, and they were able to distinguish between Impressionist and Cubist paintings. The, uh, the I, would I know some of our listeners right now are going, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I, I, I would hope well, they would these, be able that's to. That's okay. Do. If you haven't studied art, don't feel bad. These scientists were uh, awarded an Ig Nobel Prize, which is, uh, these are funny. Look them up if you haven't heard of them. It's, it's well the worth your time. Um, and kind of following up on this kind of thing, but in a more maybe useful way, in 2015, there was an American study that trained pigeons on images of normal mammograms and mammograms that had malignant tumors. And hmm. based on this small set that they were trained on, they were then able to generalize and identify cancer in images that they had not seen before. This is a task that takes humans years to learn how to do accurately. So pretty impressive. Um, also, they can count. So <laughs> all kinds of animals can actually count, including bees. Uh, a lot of animals can distinguish that, you know, 10 is more than two of food objects or whatever. I but would hope so. Pigeons are, yeah, pigeons are able to do something that um, basically only monkeys other and animals of similar intelligence can do, which is that they can learn to rank numbers in order from one to nine, which is a very abstract task. I mean, it sounds pretty simple to us, but for animals, there's no reason that two should come after one and three should come after two. Yeah, right. So they're actually able to do that, which is amazing. Um, and they have a really good memory. There was a German study in 1990 where pigeons memorized 725 random black and white visual patterns. There was no kind of uh, system to link these patterns, so they just had to memorize each one straight off. And 100 of the patterns were the good patterns, which meant that they would get a food reward if they saw them and pecked the button. And the other 625, would, they would not. And most humans would have trouble with this, wouldn't you? I would. Black and white oh, yeah. patterns, yeah. Yep. Yeah, random, random visual patterns of black and white. But the pigeons. It's like look at these QR codes and tell me which ones go somewhere good. It exactly. took me. It took me over a year to realize my grandpa and I had the same microwave. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> the things we learn. I didn't well, see it. Well, the pigeons would have realized right away. You just Should've needed a pet pigeon, Rachel. <laughs> next pet goal. Got it. So uh, next time you see a flock of pigeons around pooping everywhere, 
you know, give him a little respect. Awesome. That's what I have on pigeons for this week. I can tell you love nature because you're listening to this podcast and you want to do everything you can to keep it pristine and unpolluted. Look, plastic pollution is rapidly becoming one of the hottest environmental topics out there as we realize that most of it cannot be recycled and our disposable society means we are awash in plastic waste that will haunt us for generations. Our friends at ecocasion.com recognize this all too well and are always searching for ways to help you remove plastic from your lives and from the environment. You've likely already heard about one of the hottest products they sell and that's laundry strips everyone's talking about these things they look like little fabric strips you place in your laundry but they're actually super concentrated detergent say goodbye to all those bulky plastic laundry soap bottles and say hello to environmentally responsible living ecocasion.com is one of the largest and most trusted sellers of laundry strips in the world it's their number one seller you can check them out using our special strange by nature discount code at ecoccasion.com type in strange at checkout for five percent off your entire order today so when we do this podcast we don't really we haven't really talked about what our process is uh with the audience uh, and i give you a little behind the scenes look a little bit on some of our topics first of all we don't talk to each other at all about what these topics are going to be uh we pro- both or we all have lists online of probably i don't know 50 or so topics kind of our ideas we have in the waiting we're Sounds pretty sure right. some of those are probably the same ideas. Yeah, so every once in a while you do one and you're like, oh, that's I was going to do that like next week. And that's just part of the fun. And sometimes though, like I know my mm-hmm. list keeps on getting longer and longer because every time I do a show, someone says something like Victoria's story about the pigeons just reminded me of some other little cool things I know about pigeons. And I'm like, oh man, I, I could make a whole another episode about pigeons about stuff that she didn't even talk about. So it's like, we're always getting new ideas. I had the idea for the maple syrup one, uh, the, the maple syrup heist, cause Rachel mentioned that. And then uh, actually something Victoria mentioned last week inspired my story this week. So Victoria had mentioned um, the guy who uh, discovered the face mites, that there was several uh, parts of the human body named after this guy, which is a total throwaway comment Victoria made during the show, but it got my brain going. And I'm like, wow, like I don't usually think about parts of the body being named after like people. I mean, because usually we think about like nose, elbow, (laughs) knee, like those are not named after people. So I was like, it'd be really cool. Right. Mr. Knee, come here. Uh, (laughs) It'd be fun to kind of go online and try to figure out um, like how many different body parts I named after people and tell some of those stories. So that was kind of my, my initial idea. And as I went through and looked at it, I, of course, went to Wikipedia. And wouldn't you know, there's actually a Wikipedia article basically called Parts of the Human Body Named After People. Of course there is. I, I love that someone took the time to create that. That's uh, a great the name is, for a page. Parts of the Body Named After Human People in Pop Culture. Amazing. Right. Uh, There are about 137 different parts of the body named after people, which blew my mind. But I'm like, okay, that that's too many to do uh, an episode on. So I said, maybe I'll pare it down to just like some of the really like great, like kind of just weird things or something. The problem is. As a professional naturalist, I am a generalist. So I know a little bit or maybe a a fair amount about as many topics as possible. But there are certain topics that uh, I don't know a lot about and that maybe are a deep dive. And one of those is medicine and the internal parts of the human body. 
So as I was clicking on some of these articles and looking at them, <clears throat> I'm excited for Wikipedia, your journey there, here. <laughs> there's well, there's like a there's that opening paragraph, you know, the sort of like this article for dummies where the, the the goal of Wikipedia is to have that first paragraph be that anybody could read that and understand the topic. I've never felt so stupid reading <laughs> Wikipedia articles as I did with all of these because I'd read that first paragraph and be like, uh-huh, okay. Over 80% of the words in that par in that paragraph are hyperlinks to other articles explaining what those words mean because it's such complicated medical jargon I love about that for microstructures you. within the human body. Now, I could have spent months, you know, researching all that and trying to synthesize it for you. But as I was clicking on these, I was getting a little frustrated because I wasn't finding a topic. And there it was. It just jumped off the page at me. A name that I knew. I knew who one of these people is Ooh. because it's a professional naturalist. There's Ooh. a part of your body that is named after a professional naturalist. I'm intrigued. Victoria and Rachel, do you have a guess what naturalist that might be? Oh, gosh. Um... See, this is a good question because unlike, okay, so Kirk, you are more of a physics and chemistry type person. I, on the sure, other yeah. hand, tend to be, I actually have taken anatomy and all of that. So you think I would know this and I have no idea. Apparently yeah, I'm a bio major. I should have some clue. Well, so I'm going to try to narrow it down. I feel like there are not that sure. many naturalists that are. <laughs> that is true. Well, <clears throat> that well known. Is this is this somebody that like, you know, a, a well-versed trivia person would probably know the name of? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And keep in mind, we live in a horribly misogynistic society, so you right. can out, you can rule out about sure. half the population. Exactly. Is it uh, John Muir? Oh, that's not John Muir. It wouldn't be Aldo Leopold. Rachel. No, no, no. It's you got to go back a little further. We're talking about the big man himself. Darwin. Darwin. Chucky D. Yeah, Charles Darwin, ah, exactly. Okay. Um, although he uh, refers to this uh, feature of the human body, um, and he actually um, referred to it by a different name, which we'll get to in a minute. You mean he what didn't I want to name talk it after is, himself? He did not name it after himself, yeah. Uh, so this feature is actually really easy to see, which I also love. It's not like a hidden thing deep inside where they're like, oh, if you're doing surgery on the spleen, you'll see this small triangular structure that's about a millimeter by a millimeter. It's not anything like that. I'm waiting um, to see how this is related to legless lizards. I am also excited here. So <coughs> it is related to Rachel's topic uh, is, is what I'm getting at. So there is a direct line between Rachel's topic and my topic. Uh, if you uh, now go ahead and take your fingers, and I want you to feel your ear. So okay? I shouldn't feel around and my you piercing, can try right? Part. Which part here? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> it, you're going you're gonna to grab up at the top of your ear. Mm -hmm. And at the top of your ear, you might feel how the skin sort of rolls over and down. Yeah, it's feel cartilage. That? Yeah. yeah, the cartilage yeah. up there, right? There's kind of that little, like, little wave, little curl. Yeah. Now I want you to take your fingers and rotate along that ridge on the inside. So not like on the outside ridge, but on the inside. And you may feel maybe kind of like if, if 12 o'clock is the top of your ear, if you go back to about like maybe 1 or 2 o'clock, is there a little bump in that ridge? The answer might be yes. The answer might be no. And I'm I've curious. Got, I'm going to go with If you don't feel no. it on one ear... Just you like don't the, feel it on one ear. Are we talking about like the rim of the ridge? Yeah, along that little rim of the that little edge, there might be a little bump, and it might be on one ear, might be on no ears, it might be on. Yeah, both ears. I think I have one on my right ear, but not my left. Okay, Kirk, oh, I can't one on tell your right, this. On your left. 
because I have piercings in both of those locations. Uh, okay, well, Rachel, <laughs> you're going to have to go ahead and look in the mirror later on. Uh, this has a name. It's called, uh, this bump is called Darwin's tubercle. Uh, oh and tubercle goodness. basically means a, <laughs> a bump. Gross. I know. Yeah, you, you got a tubercle on your ear, Victoria. Uh, a tubercle basically means a bump. It actually shares the same root as tuber, like potatoes, mm -hmm. and also tuberculosis. I guess where this kind of comes from. It's, it's something that, a feature that Darwin mentioned in his famous work, The Descent of Man, but he called it the Wulnerian tip. Uh, Wulner was a famous sculptor uh, who had noticed this feature while studying the human body for sculpting, and he actually was the first to suggest that it is an atavistic trait. And okay. that's what I'm talking about, is atavistic What's traits. What's atavistic mean? I have a pretty good Before vocabulary that, character, I, I don't know that word. Yeah. I don't know that either. Also, I hate the previous name for that. That's, I don't like that. The, the <laughs> Wulnerian tip? Yeah, I hate <laughs> that. Wulnery, it's ah, Wulnerian, I believe. Yeah. Wulnerian. Well, it's named after the guy's name. Now, as happens, Darwin talked about it, so everyone instantly changed the name to Darwin's uh, tubercle, which sounds awful as well. Yep. Here's the deal. An atavistic trait are those that have been lost to evolution, but the DNA that codes for them is still there and is occasionally expressed. Ooh. So we tend to think of our genes like, as being like coding for what we should look like, but that's really an overly simplistic view of what genes are. There are genes that code for structures in the human body, but sometimes what a gene does is it modifies what another gene does, or it can even suppress other genes from doing their job. So there's a number of different ways genes can work together over time to change what a creature looks like. In the case of Darwin's tubercle, the bump on your ear corresponds to the tip of the ear in other mammals. Or put another <laughs> way, if you think about the pointy ears of elves or Vulcans on Star Trek, they have that little point on their ear. That's what that little bump is. It is the tip of your ear from back when you were like, you know, if you think about other animals like wolves or cats and things, they have that that tip to their ears. Even squirrels have those. Um, we no longer have that. Uh, it has it has evolved away. We devolved from elves. No, 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 no. Uh, we we. Uh, that's what, what Rachel's taking so, away from this. <laughs> yeah, that's Rachel's takeaway. It's like I'm related to elves, <laughs> right? So, elves, if they were real, would actually still have the genes for this, whereas. We do have the genes for it, clearly, because I know Victoria and I both have a bump on our right ears, um, but the genes are being suppressed and only come out once in a while in some people. So a certain percentage of our population listening to the podcast will have these bumps and a certain percentage will not have those. Um, oh, there are some other examples of this. So tails on humans, when humans are born with a tail, certain types of, of tails in humans uh, are actually an atavistic trait, as well as supernumerary nipples. So <laughs> this is a fun way of saying Don't more like than that. two. <laughs> um, so if you have ex <laughs> if, and if we think about a lot of mammals, they have like rows of nipples. Um, and so once in a while, humans will have an extra nipple. Right. Um, another, exam ex another example is, Rachel, if you have lizards that have, you know, now it's, 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 it's not, it's more, it's more when snakes have uh, end up having legs right rather than yeah so what you're what you're seeing is you've seen if you had like a legless lizard that was then born with legs 
even though the rest of them don't, that would be an atavistic trait. If Got you it. have a snake, because sna snakes used to have legs, if a snake was born with legs, which sometimes they are, that would be an atavistic trait. Now, that can sometimes be confused with the term vestigial. Right. Okay, so a vestigial, like, once you have that bump on your ear, that is a vestigial trait or vestigial feature. A, um, you know, an appendix is sort of that classic example of a you know, vestigial organ in your body. If it doesn't appear in everyone and sort of comes and goes, depending on whether or not the genes are suppressed, then it's considered an atavistic trait. Hmm. Uh, but if it is something that just we all have, but it doesn't really serve a function, great example is, you know how like dogs and things can and horses and whatnot can move their ears around right. to listen for sounds, mm -hmm. and we cannot. We have muscles in our head that correspond to those muscles for moving our ears, and some people can actually wiggle their ears a little bit. Look at me closely, uh, like Victoria. Victoria is doing, but the little tiny bit of wiggling that Victoria can do with her ears is not useful. It's not actual aside from party tricks. So it's considered a, a um, like those 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 are vestigial because they they are. They're still there, or they're they, and they, but they don't really serve any purpose anymore, or they are no longer in their original form. So the two terms are very similar, but uh, this idea of uh, atavistic traits is just kind of cool. The thing to uh, think about that some of us have those. If you have one of these bumps, please share on social media. Take a picture of your ear and send it to us on on Twitter or something. Or like people think it's the weirdest thing. Or just like be like, I've got that, and let us know. I'm really curious how many of you out there. Uh, have these atavistic traits. So that's what I have this week. And I think it's so cool that it tied into what Rachel was talking about. Yeah, that's about. really interesting. Because there are Thanks, uh, skinks and legless lizards that do ha get those atavistic, now that I have the term, uh, legs. and Or they have little tiny ones that aren't necessarily useful. So is it, it do they all the ones in that species have them? Or like sometimes they appear? Sometimes they appear. In in. Okay, yeah, then that would be atavistic if some members of them have it once in a while, but not all of them have it. So very cool. Hmm. Well, you guys, thanks so much for, you know, getting together this week and doing this. Yeah, this was fun. It was a pleasure as always. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of The Strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace The Strange.